0: Let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Last week I I said to you, I went into the pulpit with more material than than I felt that I could use in in one sermon. And certainly that was the case. I probably could have stretched it out for three weeks. So, but I really wanted to get through that subject in in one in one morning. Uh, this particular message is more of an expository out, uh, message. Last week was a topical message. Uh, we talk about these things in our Bible Institute with our uh, preacher students, and that was a topical message, so I really felt like God wanted me to wrap that up uh, in one week. Th- this particular message is more of an expository message. We're going to take a portion of Scripture and we're going to take it apart a piece at a time and look at it carefully in great detail. So if we get done today, great. If we don't, uh, there's always next time. And it is the Bible, amen? So I really don't think as Christians we can spend too much time in this book. So it's it's likely we, we won't get it all done today, but we'll find a good landing place. I, I, want, I want to talk to you uh, tonight, this morning on the subject of, of pleasing the Holy Spirit. Pleasing the Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit he he gets he gets the short end of the stick as the three members of the Trinity. And we all know that God the Father is God and 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 the Lord Jesus Christ is deity and 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 they're prominent in scripture and Christ came to this earth uh, for 33 and a half years. And and the Holy Spirit is as much God as those two other members of the Trinity. He he's a person of the, of the godhead, but but by his very nature and, and what he does, he takes, he takes a back seat, if you will. And, and Jesus was talking in the Gospel of John, and he said, uh, when the Spirit comes, he's not going to speak of his own, but he's going he's to speak of me. He's going to speak of mine. So it's interesting, the Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, but the Spirit seems in many ways to stay in, in the background. Now, that doesn't mean he isn't there, and it doesn't mean he isn't talked about in God's word, but it's just his nature. And so, this particular portion of Scripture features the Holy Spirit uh, as as one of the members of the Godhead. Now, let's get the context here and start in verse 22. 22, the Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, uh, I'm not gonna get into a, a lesson on the two natures, but the old man is what you were born with. It's often called the Adamic nature. It's the sin nature. It's the fact that we are, we are born sinners. Uh, Do you ever notice you don't have to teach a baby, teach a child how to sin? Uh, they just come by it naturally. And, and, and so it, it is because of the, the old man. And then the Bible says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23. And now we're going to shift to the new man, verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. All right, we got the old man by the first birth. It it was a a sinful nature. And by the way, your old man can do no right, right? That's one of the big fallacies of religion. Religion tries to clean up the old man. Salvation crucifies the old man and gives you a new life and a new man, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But if you ever notice that religion tries to scrub up the old man with rules and regulations, but that old man always kind of bursts through that little veneer, doesn't he? kind of burst through the, uh, the little veneer. I remember uh, my uh, family, we, I was raised a Roman Catholic, and we would go to Mass in the morning. And, and I mean, for me, it was just literally just surviving that sort of mundane uh, ritual and enduring it. And, and when it was over with, it was sort of ironic. At the end of the Mass, the, the priest would say, the Mass has ended, go in peace. And our response on the little cue card was, thanks be to God. That's exactly how I felt, <laughs> Thanks be to God. Let's get out of here. And uh, I was watching the other day after the service, so many of you hanging around and hanging around after the service and fellowshipping out in the foyer and when the weather's nice out in the courtyard area and sometimes here in the aisles and sometimes our guys that are shutting things down will actually have to turn the lights off after about forty five minutes to get you out of here. Well, it wasn't that day. It wasn't that way with us. Man, I tell you what, everybody would hit hit for the the uh, the exit and get to the parking lot and jump in your car. And it was like the Indy 500 start trying to get out those exits. And everything would get jammed up and backed up. And my dad's saved now. I'm going to tell you, my dad's a witnessing Christian. He'll witness anything that moves, but he wasn't then. None of us were. And he'd start cussing up a blue streak. And my mom would say, Don, Don we just came out of church. (laughs) But that's what religion is. Amen? Religion just kind of gives you some do's and don'ts and tries to to tame that monster, but you can't tame it. You can't tame it. Here's what you need. You need a new man. You need to put on a new man. It's like taking off a a, a moth-eaten garment and putting on a, a brand new garment, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, just as the Old man could do nothing right. Frankly, the new man can do nothing wrong. That's the good news, folks. And that's why I don't care. Talking to the men last night uh, about pornography. And, and when people get addicted in vice of any sort, there's that sense that, well, I, I'm so deep in this hole, there's no way I can change. I'm going to tell you something right now. When you get born again, you get saved, you've got a new man And you can overcome any sin. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not the effort of the old man. It's not the effort of the old man. And it's not trying to clean up that. God just says, I'm crucifying that. And I'm burying it. And I'm raising you, a new man. And so you come out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 25, wherefore putting away lying, uh, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, one of another, be ye angry and sin not, (coughs) excuse me, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, By the way, notice that, be ye angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, there There is a righteous indignation that is a holy anger. Can I give you an example of it in the New Testament? Jesus cleansing the temple, all right? When Christ was knocking over those tables, knocking over the tables, folks, literally just, I mean, when you read that, do you picture? He takes the table and just knocks it over. Big tables, money and all kinds of paraphernalia and things are going flying and he's driving the animals out of there and 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 he and he take the Bible one one narrative said he took a scourge, a whip, and he drove the animals out. And he says, You made my father's house a den of thieves. Folks, he didn't say that gently. He he was angry. And it was a righteous indignation. Be ye angry and sin not. Uh, there is a time for the right kind of anger. But notice the back half of the verse. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our own sinful wrath when we crusade for our own cause. See, when Jesus Jesus cleansed the temple, he was doing that for the Father. And the Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And that's what we see in the back half of this verse. But we're going to spend a little bit of time there here in a little bit. Notice in verse 27, neither give Uh, place to the devil we talked about that last night fellas Uh, the bible says abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul and uh, some sins we become our own worst enemy And, and we set ourselves up for things that can war against our soul so he says neither give place to the devil by the way we saw in the book of James last night that if we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil he will do what he will flee he will flee. Isn't that good news? Uh, this isn't my message this morning, but if you're being harassed by the devil, submit yourself to God, resist him, and the Bible promises in the book of James he will flee. He will flee. He won't flee because he's scared of you, but if you submit yourself to God, he's scared of God. And just like in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus whipped him on the Mount of Temptation, he had to leave, he had to depart. Now, verse twenty-eight: Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which um, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him uh, that needeth. Uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, uh, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, the, this list of sins here, uh, starting with verse twenty-five, and ending in verse in verse twenty-nine. All sin grieves the Holy Spirit. There's no question about it. But as you get into verses 30 through 32, you see a a train of thought that has continuity within itself. And he starts out in verse 30 by saying, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So when I give you the title of the message and I say, pleasing the Holy Spirit, I'm saying to you as we go through this section, verses 30, 31, and 32, and break this down, uh, Doing the things that are in here instructed us to avoid and and to adopt, this pleases the Holy Spirit. But it starts out by saying, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. Hath forgiven you. What is unique about verses thirty through thirty-two from the section we just looked at? Well, what's unique about it is, is these are things in particular that have to do with the believer and his relationship with other believers. And and when when we are at, at odds with one another, look at verse 31. When we're committing those sins against each other, this particularly grieves. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you an example. If you're a parent, if you're a parent and you have two of your children say to you, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy, and but they can't get along. Now, I I, I know you know s- sibling rivalry is is part of growing up. I get all that. But I mean, they just they just will not get along. Well, the fact they said to you individually, I love you, but they can't get along, you're still grieved, amen? You're still grieved. And, and when I think of all these things here in this section of Scripture, verse 31, and I think of believer committing these sins against another believer, it's almost like the tragedy of the Civil War where it was brother versus brother. And, and that can be some of the most discouraging things that a Christian can go through. Uh, I'll just give you an example and this is nowhere in my notes and uh, this just sort of flew into my head in this context but I'm going to tell you right now that more young people have have walked away from God in the context of church over a church split than the drunkenness of any 10 backslidden deacons. you understand what I'm saying Because it it makes no sense. These people are both Christians and they're they're at war with each other. And and it just, it it discourages, it discourages. Um, Youngster in the back seat of the car, family going to church, and they had a program called the Christian Endeavor Meeting. And this church had just had a really big split. I mean, hymnals flying back and forth across the auditorium It was was sadly spectacular. And the little boy says, Mom, Dad, are we going to the Christian and devil meeting? (laughs) It was a Christian endeavor meeting, but it turned into the Christian and devil meeting. Um, Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 3. God God speaks very uh, pointedly about this. 1 John chapter 3. And and I and I believe this. I, I believe someone who's truly saved is not going to intentionally, uh, intentionally hurt or hate uh, another believer. And and I say that based based on this, and, and experience uh, bears this out as well. But First John chapter three and verse thirteen, he says, uh, "Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you." Well, marvel not. Well, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Lost people are going to hate you because you're identified with Christ, and they hated Christ. Okay, well, that's that's easy to understand. Uh, we get that. Um, it, it can be hurtful, but we understand it. Amen? But look, look at what he says in verse 14. Uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life because because what's the evidence? We know we've passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love who? The brethren. Now, notice what he says here. This is pretty... This is pretty dogmatic here. This is pretty straightforward. He that loveth not his brother abideth in what? Wow. John is saying, if you don't, I mean, if you love the brethren, that's an evidence of salvation. If you don't love the brethren, that's an evidence that you're not saved. Look at verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother uh, is, is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, we all understand, okay, so that's intentionally hating and hurting uh, that's willful. That's right on the table. But we also understand sometimes we hurt others accidentally and inadvertently, unintentionally. Is that possible? We've ever done that? Yeah. And 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 then and then we look back and go, oh, what what did I do? Okay, okay. Well, that's that's different than what we just looked at. Or. Because of our selfish sinfulness, we sometimes hurt people ignorantly. Ignorantly. But what John's talking about here is just out and out hatred of the brethren and, and, and wanting to hurt them. I remember when I was a kid growing up, and we're here, we're here in, back in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and it's talking about not grieving, grieve not the Holy Spirit, verse 30. I, I remember when I would get in trouble with my folks I actually, I actually many times preferred a spanking to them just getting quiet on me and hurt. Sometimes that bothered me more. I didn't want to hurt my parents, but them acting hurt sometimes was the worst possible uh, punishment. I think this morning as believers, we don't. We don't really want to hurt God, do we? We don't really want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want the Holy Spirit to be grieved at our con- uh, our conduct. And as believers, I, I believe it stands to reason we really don't want to hurt each other. So let's look at this because, because this talks about those, those very things. I, uh, you know, w- when you get married, you realize, hey, I need to learn how to treat my spouse. Uh, Children need to know how to treat their parents. Parents know how to treat their children. Uh, Brethren need to know how to treat each other. Uh, And and in this context, all of this plays right into how we treat God. Um, Do you know, if you're saved here this morning, we're all going to spend eternity with each other. Yeah, and it'll be okay, because God will straighten out all the rest of you. <laughs> Isn't that how we think? Well, that'll be perfect. We'll get along just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two old men in a nursing home, both Christians, just didn't get along with each other, constantly at war with each other. Uh, they, they were legends in the nursing home. And the one man was on his deathbed, and so he called the other man in, and he he had this, this moment where he just let his guard down, and he said, he apologized, he, he he told this guy he loved him, and he was so sorry for all the things he had done and said, and the other man was in tears, and you know, they were just getting reconciled. And then he he just sort of, he just sort of shook his head a little bit, and it's like, you could see the whole thing shift in his head. He goes, he goes, but if I live, he said this is all off. He goes, <laughs> and, and sometimes, sometimes it's hard to let go, isn't it? One commentator said about uh, verse 31, he says, some of the sins that grieve the Holy Spirit are now particularized. While some Christians would classify as sins only the grosser iniquities, which even the world recognizes as wrong, God mentions matters of the mind and spirit as well as those of the body. Uh, I put it this way. Sometimes we as Christians have these, what I call, uh, little pet sins that we feel like it's it's okay to harbor these things because they're not real outward and uh, they're not they're not real fleshy, but we can, we can harbor things like bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and, and, and malice, and we can maintain a sharp tongue. We can be murmurers. We can be complainers. We can be naggers. Uh, we can be powders. Uh, we can be angry. We can be filled uh, with bitterness. But didn't Jesus say to the Pharisees, he said, you, you shouldn't leave these outward things undone, but you should have paid attention to mercy. You should have paid attention to love. You should have paid attention to things like justice. And so God is is as concerned about these things as he is about all of those outward things. I think of what Paul said. He said, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Paul deals with six uh, particular sins and, and they have to do with our interaction with each other. And these sins grieve the Holy Spirit. So if we avoid these things, and then we adopt the posture of verse 32, let's take a look at it, let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit, because we probably won't get to that uh, this morning. But, and, and instead of verse 31, we find ourselves in verse 32 being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Then we, we please the Holy Spirit, and we don't grieve him. All right, the first one is, in verse 31, is bitterness. Bitterness. It's the advanced stage of a sinful reaction to betrayal or disappointment, or perceived betrayal and perceived mistreatment. Envy is associated with bitterness. The Bible talks of bitter envy. I believe that Peter's backsliding had a little bit to do with bitterness against the Lord about some things, in particular that, you know, he cut cut that one guy's ear off, and the Lord rebuked him in front of everybody, told him to put up his sword. Uh, You look at Esau, the Bible's very clear that Esau was a bitter man. I, I think it's fair to say that Jonah was. Would it be fair to say that Jonah was? I mean, here's a man that was called to preach, he's an evangelist, and he preaches, and a whole city gets right with God, and and he goes and pouts, because he just hated those people so much. He was filled with bitterness. You know, I I, I think we're fast becoming a nation full of bitter people, because we're becoming a nation full of victims, And, and, and not only are we a nation full of victims bitter at each other, but... Many people are bitter at God. You know, folks, we can't control how people treat us, but we can control our reaction to that treatment. Is that not true? And by the way, we've we've all been, everybody's been mishandled. Everybody's mishandled. You know what? You say, well, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't, my parents didn't do this for me, my parents didn't do that, you know, Uh, My dad dropped me on my head. My mom fed me goat's milk. and I had a teacher in the first grade told me I was stupid. Well, you know what? By the time you're 40, it's time to let let that go. But there are guys that will charge you $200 an hour as you lay on a couch to dredge all that up and make you miserable again. Isn't that a little ironic? Bitterness. Uh, we talked about when we, st- we were studying Judas Iscariot and we talked about his betrayal, betrayal of Christ. We talked about this cycle we go through, the, the shock and then the disbelief and then the sorrow and then the anger. And, and, and that's, the, that's the fork in the road right there is anger. And we either, we either go to bitterness, which is a real trap and a real deep ditch, or we go to forgiveness and healing and start bearing the fruit of the spirit. Someone once said, what is forgiveness? It is the sweet smell a flower gives off when it's trampled. Peter told Simon the sorcerer in Samaria over there in Acts chapter 8, he says, you are in the, the bond of bitterness. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And sometimes as Christians, we rationalize, well, I, you know, I, I I wear the right clothes, I got the right haircut, I talk the right way, I carry my Bible the right way, I go to the right church, I believe the right things, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't hang with them that do, and so it's okay if I'm bitter. No, it's not okay. Bitterness, bitterness is a sin. In fact, it's, it's a very dangerous sin. If you look here with me in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and there, and there are no exceptions um, you, you, can't, you can't tame this monster. You've you got to deal with it. You can't make the decision to live with it. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse uh, 14, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, with which, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. That's an interesting statement. I don't believe he's talking about losing salvation, but failing of the grace of God is to not allow the grace of God to do the work it can do in our hearts at, at times when bitterness can creep in. And so he says, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Well, how do many get, be defiled? Um Bitterness is the kind of thing that spreads. It spreads. It's almost impossible for us to keep it to ourselves. We've got to, and and, and I like what Dr. Gipp has said before Christians don't spread gossip, they spread prayer requests. Just say, I got a prayer request for you, and then say anything you want because it was a prayer request because I'm deeply burdened. (laughs) Hell no, it it might be that I'm deeply bitter. And I'm trying to tell you something I shouldn't tell you, but he, he says it, it, it troubles us when it becomes part of our lives, and then many uh, become defiled. You know, it, it's just like cheerful people. You can't help being around cheerful people and and, and, not, and not be affected by that. There's some people I want to be around just because just they're cheerful. Some are so cheerful they're almost a little Weird. <laughs> you kind of are you for real and then you get around them and and you find out they are and you find out being around them is good because it rubs off just like like someone who's bitter spewing that out it it rubs off on others Uh, so so the flip side of that somebody who's cheerful bitterness can destroy our testimony it's a spiritual cancer it can it can really hurt a family it can really hurt a family I. You know, Hollywood has capitalized on that and has done movies and whole series. You know, you know two siblings just bitter with each other in, into adulthood and, and all the drama that that causes uh, for, the, for the extended family and for them. Uh, bitterness can destroy a church. Uh, envy and am, ambition uh, combined with uh, bitterness. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. Take a look at the next one. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And he, he talks about putting away uh, uh, bitterness, let all bitterness uh, be put away from me. And then the next thing he says is wrath. Wrath. And, and wrath uh, for the individual is championing our own cause. Uh, that's really why many murders, murders are committed. Someone championing, championing their own cause. It's a crusade of revenge. Against those who have done us dirt, or, or we perceive have done us dirt. A lawyer was once asked by a preacher, what's, what's the one thing you've learned about human nature in all of your years of practice? And he had been in law many years, over 40 years. And, he, and the man didn't hesitate. The lawyer said, he, he replied this way. He said, the one thing I've learned is the ca- capacity of the human heart for revenge. Capacity of the human heart uh, for revenge. Uh, Brother Alders, he's not here this morning. He's he's sick, but um, he does a lot of estate type of stuff, and he's told me stories. No, no names included, but where two family members will will zero in on an on the ashtray of the deceased parent. Not not even a you know an expensive two three thousand dollar one. Just you know. An ashtray that's had cigarettes in it for years and probably stinks. And they'll literally go to war with each other over it and spend all kinds of money on lawyers' fees. And, and, and this often happens in, in, in divorce. Wrath. Uh, look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is important for us to keep in mind. When we feel wrath coming on, welling up in our bosom, James chapter 1, Uh, James chapter 1 and verse, excuse me, uh, verse 19, James 1 verse 19, he says, wherefore my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, someone said we have two ears and one mouth, that means we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk, and then notice this, slow to wrath, slow to wrath. I, I haven't written, a lot of times if I get what I would call a poison uh, poison pen letter, and, and by the way, constructive criticism is a welcome thing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said he regretted the anonymous letters he got that were good constructive criticism because uh, he didn't know who to thank. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know, there have been a few times where I I was tempted to reply harshly. And so what I learned to do early on was write a draft of the letter and then sleep on it. And then look at it the next day. And usually what happens is I modify it. And then sleep on it again and look at it the next day. And then the final stage is get one of my secretaries and let them look at it. And you know what happens to most of those letters? never get mailed because after just thinking and waiting you realize is this really necessary is this really gonna go anywhere is this really gonna help I've told you the story before but I'll say it again Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a friend in the ministry and uh, this man had written a track come to Jesus that was very instrumental in a lot of people coming to Christ in England in his day and he got into a quarrel with another minister, and they started writing articles back and forth in various publications. And it started to get a little nasty, and so he wrote this article, and he handed it to Brother Spurgeon, and he said, I'd like you to read it and tell me what the title should be. And Brother Spurgeon read it and got back with him, and he said, I think the title should be Go to the Devil by the Author of Come to Jesus. Slow to wrath. Now watch verse 20. Here's, here's the real critical thing. For the wrath of man worketh not... The righteousness of God. Our personal crusades. Even if we think it's for a good cause. You know what we usually are when we, when we expend that wrath? We are a, a vigilante lynch mob. Can I guarantee you something right now? Without all the facts. That's the danger of a vigilante lynch mob. Is I guarantee you, they never have all the facts. And neither do we. You know who does? That's why the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 16 and 19, twice this phrase is given, and and it's, it's chorused out of heaven by the angels, true and righteous are thy judgments. You know what? That's why God can expend wrath upon man and upon the world because when he does it, it is truly, truly merited. When we do it, we don't have all the facts. Oh, in this situation, you don't have all the facts. You, my friend, this morning, are not the exception to the rule. And so... The Bible talks about putting away wrath. Um, Paul told Timothy, he said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as such as I would, but that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, uh, lest there be debates, envying's wraths strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, (laughs) that's an interesting one, and uh, uh, tumults. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. So we've seen bitterness, we've seen wrath. Now the next one is, is anger, is anger. And a lot of people with anger problems don't understand how bad it really is and they'll often rationalize and it's usually men there, there are certain sins that seem to gravitate toward genders. but It can be women, but a lot of times it's a man. And, and his, his attitude is, well, I, yeah, I know, I blow up, but it's only once in a while. Uh, do you realize a, a hand grenade is only made to blow up once? <laughs> and if you want to know what anger is all about, just put a D in front of it. Just put a D in front of it. Anger can breed wrath and bitterness. The Bible says, anger resteth in the bosom of fools. If it finds a lodging place there, and and let me address the men here. Men, our power, our physical strength is to protect, not to intimidate our family. Our spouse, Mister, if you hit your wife, if you push around your wife, someone ought to splatter your nose all over your face. Can I just be blunt with you? I think that would be the solution. God didn't give us that strength to intimidate, but to protect. To protect. And, and we shouldn't be ticking time bombs. People shouldn't be afraid to be around us because they don't know when we're going to blow. Uh, that would be anger. Look at the next one, clamor. Clamor. Um, I looked this one up in, in the Webster's Dictionary. It says it's a great outcry, noise, exclamation made by a loud human voice, continued or repeated, or by a multitude of voices. It often expresses complaint and urgent demand. Uh, Scorners in the book of Proverbs are oftentimes very uh, clamorous. And they're accusers. They're accusers. They teach with their fingers as the Bible in the book of Proverbs says. Always pointing you at, look at look at them, look at them, look at them. But you know when I'm doing this, I've got three pointing at me. And the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. I sure don't want to do his job, amen? Gal came back to the store one day, and she was very dissatisfied with the product, and she kept going on and on, and no matter what they did, they gave her a refund. They, uh, they, they tried to be nice to her, but she continued as other customers were trying to get to the counter, and finally, finally the guy behind the counter said, how about if we fire the manager, shoot the owner, refund your money, and burn the place down? Would that work? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> She probably would still have been upset. The Bible says a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. Um, That little girl that, and they wrecked her life, Greta Thunberg, she's got problems. But boy, she's clamorous. You ever watch her speak? She's clamorous and angry. We're all guilty of very terrible things. I get done listening to her, I think, okay, well, I'm supposed to cool the world off by myself. Okay, I'll get started right now, because she's pretty mad. She's pretty mad at us older people, what we've left to the next generation, so I'm just going to get started. (laughs) Well, come on! (laughs) If we all did it together... Never know. (laughs) Clamorous. Clamorous. Do you know the media is clamorous? Do you know your television is clamorous? Do you know this thing is clamorous? Do you know what I did the other night? My wife and I went out for dinner and I left this at home. (laughs) Or as Richard Nixon used to do. These things have ruined our brains. You know, you're sitting there trying to relax, and then... (laughs) Turn it over on its face. (laughs) Turn the the volume off. Man, it's clamorous. It's always demanding. It's always complaining. It's always saying, look at me. They, They have the gall to tell us that when commercials come on television, they don't turn the volume up. Man, I've had I've had a commercial come on, and I mean uh, there was blood coming out of my ear within three seconds before I could get to the remote and mute it. Clamorous, the clamorous are found stirring up strife in families, out on the job. Um, when I pastored in Pennsylvania in the early '80s, and I understand there's a lot of history between the the coal miners there and the companies and. It's, it's, it's pretty complicated, but uh, there were several men in my church that worked in the coal mines, and uh, one of them was a uh, union steward or a higher up guy, and uh, he, he told me, his name was Mark. Remember Mark? And, and Mark told me, he said, Preacher, he said, I can't buy a house. And I said, Why, Mark? You make good money. He said, Because here's the reason we have two year contracts. And every year, the contract comes up, and every year, no matter what the company offers us, we strike for one year. Now, think of it, guys. You work for two years, and for a year, you don't have a job. And he said, it's automatic. It's automatic. He said, some of those guys in southwest Pennsylvania in the mines and and, uh, West Virginia there, it's just automatic. They... They hate the company, and they're going to strike. You know what that is? That's clamorous. That's just clamorous. It's without reason. Uh, The clamorous are found stirring up strife in families, on the job, uh, in (laughs) governments, in churches. Their opinion is so important, their cause is so important, that everyone must drop what they're doing and jump to their attention, but their insistent demands Never end, nor can they ever be satisfied. I think of the tumult that stirred up the crowd to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a clamorous bunch. It was the same ones that, that doomed Jerusalem in 70 AD against Titus of Rome. It, it's, it's the riots in Portland. It's the riots in Seattle. It's BLM. It's Antifa. One Antifa guy was holding up a sign, and it said, we cannot be governed. I believe that was probably true. Clamorous. Clamorous. Look at the next one, evil speaking. I think this one is self-explanatory. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, speak evil of no man. James tells us in James chapter 4, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. But a judge. Someone said great minds talk about ideas. Good minds talk about things. Small minds talk about people. And you know what? If you live long enough, somebody's going to speak evil of you. Can I give you a recommendation? Don't be sensitive. I like what Brother uh, Sommerdor said. We don't have to take offense. If somebody gives offense, we don't have to take offense, and we can we can remember that sometimes we've spoken we, we've spoken some ill-advised. Words, but don't, don't have a sensitive s- spirit. Someone tells you you look funny, just ask them, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> and, you know, I, I saw a guy with a, uh, a t shirt one time and said, I'm fat, but you're ugly, and I can go on a diet. <laughs> I saw another guy with a t shirt, and I mean, he had a big pot belly, and it said, No, I'm not on steroids, but thank you for asking. <laughs> But evil speaking is deliberate intent to hurt. In this context, believe it or not, it's to the face. But we all know that sometimes it's behind the back. And uh, girls can be pretty pretty cruel with the insults. Guys can do it too. I think social media has made some guys kind of girly. Amen. Amen. You know I mean, with the guys, you know, the guy that didn't make the team walks up to the three guys that did and oh, it's great that we made the team you made the team you made the team, oh, you didn't huh. or or with the girls, you know, oh I forgot you weren't you, you weren't invited. you weren't invited. Does that somehow make us feel bigger? Does that somehow make us feel bigger I uh I went to parochial school uh, through the fifth grade, and uh, I just, I was was ADD, D, 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 D. Before anybody had ever labeled anybody ADD. And I would just get up out of my seat, and why am I telling everybody this, Carol? Why am I doing this? And I'd get up, and the idiot that designed this school, the whole one wall, was big windows from the top of the heat register all the way to the ceiling. They didn't bargain on kids like me in the class. I'd be sitting there in the, and finally i just get up and just look out the window. There was no drool pooling at my feet, okay? I promise you this, okay? <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. And I was like, and this teacher of mine, in the fifth grade, I was the antichrist. And I just, I just was distracted. Maybe she was, a, maybe she, I don't know. Maybe she was a boring teacher. I don't know. But anyways, my my folks put me in public school, and I got put in that that class. I got put in that class. I would call it the misfits class. And Mr. Arshamble was my teacher. And I really enjoyed Mr. Arshamble, and I broke out of it, and I never became valedictorian, but you know. I was a B, B-plus, A-minus student the rest of my grade school and high school year, uh, years. And I remember one time, one kid said to another kid in that class, he called him stupid. And Mr. R. Shambled, that apparently was his hot button. And he lost it. And he took this kid, and this is back when, well, teachers had a little more latitude, let's just put it that way. And he drug this kid out into the hallway, and, and I think everybody in school heard this. But he, he said, nobody is stupid, bam, nobody is stupid, bam, against the locker. And I think it was the back of the kid's head hitting the locker. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying one way or another whether that was good or bad, but I'm just saying that's what he did. And he just really, and, and I guarantee you, nobody the rest of that year said the word stupid. In fact, I don't think anybody ever thought the word stupid. But, but can, can I say this? I'm working on a message, and I'm just working on it, but let me just throw this out to you. It's called, How to Treat the Weaker Vessels in Your Life. Do you know there's weaker vessels in your home? Do you know there's weaker vessels where you work? There's weaker vessels in the neighborhood. There's weaker vessels in church. And most of us know Back in the old days, how they would send the canary into the mine to check and see if the air was good because the canary was very sensitive to those gases that could be released in the mine. And you know what? Some of the slow, some of the awkward are to a church, they are the canaries in the mine. And when God gives a church those kind of people, you know what? He is honoring that church, He is saying, I trust to send them there because those canaries will survive. There's enough love there. There aren't those poison gases that would kill somebody that's that sensitive. Can I say to you this morning, young people with each other, there's always going to be awkward kids in the group. Can I tell you who they are? They're every one of you, okay? Even you, if you think you're king of the hill, to us adults looking at you, we are right there with Mark Rogers when he uses the phrase, almost people. You know what we need to do? We need to be patient with each other. We need to be patient with each other. And you know something, at the very least, what we owe each other is to love each other. And even if some of us aren't (laughs) each other's favorites, by the grace of God, we must be civil and kind and courteous and polite because church, of all places, should be a refuge from that kind of stuff. Amen. Adults and young people alike. It should be a refuge from those kind of things. And then lastly, and then lastly, he says be put away from you verse 31 with all malice. Malice is the is the attitude, the motive of intent to hurt with forethought. And then he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know what that is? That's the body ministering to itself in love. And and we'll talk about this next time we get together on this. But didn't, didn't Jesus say somewhere in the Gospel of John, he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? love one to another and and these particular sins grieve the holy spirit because they they really go against that and so he tells us this morning let them be put away from us um you know what can i suggest something you'll be very happy you you, you'll be happy and you'll survive if you're not nurturing bitterness You'll you'll do okay. In fact, you might find it a big improvement in your blood pressure if you put away anger. Oh, you might find something constructive to do if you put away wrath instead of daydreaming all day about how you're going to get them. Can I suggest something that I think is pretty obvious that's not real compatible with our soul winning efforts. If I'm grinding my gears all day about them, or him, or her, whoever it is, in wrath, how am I thinking? How do I get an opener on that person to tell them about Jesus, so I can give them one of these tracks? Doesn't really seem contiguous, to say, I hate you, would you like a track? (laughs) And the Bible just tells us, just put those things away. Just put them away. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and uh, help us with these matters. Father, we We know we're all prone to all of this and so much more. But we have your Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're new creatures in Christ. And Lord, where there's a command in your word, there's always an enablement. Help us now. Help us. Lord, may this place, this church, uh, our nurseries, uh, uh, the gems, the, the youth groups, the master club, the Sunday school classes, the junior church, everything here be a refuge from these things. And uh, Father, may the canary always survive in the minds here, Lord. May the air be clear and filled with love. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 93, okay. Or, uh, 494. Okay. All right, let's stand and sing number 494. Number 494. you are dismissed. God bless you.